A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Matt Chatterton. On the show this week, a study into the long-term effects of concussions on rugby players is revealed. We preview the upcoming ITM Cup season. The Black Caps will wear Aotearoa on their playing shirts against Zimbabwe. It's only a matter of time until the Netball World Cup gets underway. We catch up with Casey Kapua. Manu Vatuve and Conrad Hurrell make a welcome return to the Warriors. Joseph Parker discusses his upcoming fight against Bowie Tupo. And Sir Richard Hadley pays tribute to South African all-rounder Clive Rice. A three-year international study showing the long-term health impacts of contact sports like rugby was commissioned by the International Rugby Board and undertaken by Auckland University of Technology. It has found retired rugby players have more arthritis, cardiovascular issues and more concussions than retired non-contact sports players. The participants also had their brain functions tested. Former elite rugby players performed worse in four key cognitive areas. And those who had suffered one to three concussions during their careers also performed worse on balance scores compared with those with no reported concussions. The study was undertaken by sports injury prevention expert Professor Patria Hume of AUT, who spoke with Nine to Noon's Catherine Ryan, along with Chief Medical Officer for the IRB, Martin Rafferty. I, I wouldn't know if there was any discernible difference between the elite and the community rugby players for a very good reason. I'll be upfront about it. The management of concussions may be different between the two groups. Was there anything that indicated different outcomes? In terms of the neuropsychological testing, no, it was consistent. So from that perspective, uh, you would have to say no. Remembering these are players who were playing in the 1980s to, you know, 2010. Ah, very interesting. Yeah, the medical treatment then was a lot different. Uh, There's a lot more emphasis now on recognising the signs and symptoms and removing the players and getting them assessed, no matter what level. And New Zealand rugby in particular has put a lot of effort into educating coaches and referees and players through their Rugby Smart programme to really highlight the importance of recognising the signs and symptoms of concussion and removing the players from the field of play and getting them medically assessed. Okay, Could you put it in layperson's terms as to what it might mean Mean, what, what sort of tests were done, what the difference looks like and what it might look like, I don't know if this is asking too much, in their functional lives? So what it means is that 
often uh, if you've if you're forming poorly on the cognitive flexibility score that means you're not able to multitask so let's use a car analogy say you're you're talking with your partner in, in the car and then you decide you know which way to go you're going to be slower at, at doing that or less able to do that in terms of the complex attention that's about processing information and responding in an appropriate manner so again if we use the car analogy you might be at an intersection and you're trying to decide which way to go to the usual shop and you can't quite remember which way to go to that usual shop. So those are the types of things that can be affected in terms of your brain function. How do you interpret the results you've seen here then? Because there have been some serious cases. We take anecdotal cases of the sorts of things that raise concerns. Uh, say, repeat, uh, in the case of repeat concussions, uh, former Auckland Blues player Steve Devine, for example, he's saying his life's never been the same. Constant migraines, fatigue, and aversion to bright lights and noise, bouts of depression. We don't want that uh, for our sports players. And again, do you interpret from the data that you have here the risk of that for more than isolated cases? So from our data, we have shown that, yes, there are a proportion of players who still have ongoing signs and symptoms that they attribute to the concussions. Having said that, there's a lot of factors that can contribute to your, your daily life, whether that's um, ethnicity differences, effects of alcohol. So there's some preliminary indications of associations between different variables, and we need to be able to delve into those to get a more clear picture. This is a sensitive issue because we want people playing sport. It's great. It's great physically. It's great socially. It's great mentally and emotionally for you to enjoy your sport. But surely we don't want people left with permanent impacts on the brain if we can possibly avoid it. And I, I think one of the researchers here, it's just, uh, Paul Quigley, with the um, uh, medical department at Wellington Hospital, you know, when you sprain an ankle, you don't run again. You don't play again until you can run without pain. You know. Um, and why why play with a sprained ankle? I guess the question is, are we robust enough in the practices we're having all the way down to grassroots? I think we've started on the journey, as I said. Where there's definitely been an increase over the last four years. There's been a dramatic increase in awareness and an improvement in the management of concussion at the elite level, which is trickling down to the, to, to the community level as well. But does that mean it's good? No. I think we need we need to as as a, a sport. But also as a, as, as a community, the whole community, because concussion doesn't just affect one sport, it affects all sports and mm. also non-sporting activities. Um, but we need to actually try to spread the word about the, you know, the, the seriousness of concussion or the seriousness associated with concussion and with head injuries and that that should be treated aggressively and, and appropriately. That was Nine to Noon's Catherine Ryan speaking with AUT Professor Patria Hume and IRB Medical Officer Martin Rafferty. Sticking with rugby, the 2015 ITM Cup season officially launched in Auckland this week. The 10-week competition features 14 New Zealand provinces and gets underway from the 13th of August. Following last season, a review was undertaken by New Zealand referees to find ways to keep the game tidy. I caught up with referee Nick Bryant, who will be in charge of some of this season's games, to discover what the new changes will be. One of the things we look at is when the ball's thrown into the line-out, you know, 
do we have to be so strict on? Is it bang down the middle? Because we probably had some difference of opinion amongst referees on that. And then also, can we be a bit more relaxed if, with, when the ball does get thrown in and only one team goes up? And, and the answer to the both of those is yes. So that's good. That gives us the scope to say, OK, well, we can't let it get st- thrown straight to the nine and take the mickey. But if it's a bit crooked and there's only one guy up in the air, then if we can play on, that's great. So some things like that came out of it. A lot of talk from the coaches, understandably, about mauling um, because they've seen it play out in, in Super Rugby this year. And so how many points result from, from malls is a, is a big ticket item. And the other thing is um, that was uh, spoken a bit about by uh, coaches was making sure at, at the tackle uh, breakdown sort of scenario that um, guys competing for the ball aren't not supporting their weight and getting well past the ball um, resting their forearms or their hands on the ground and, and using that as an unfair advantage to try and win a turnover or a penalty. So, th- th- yeah, I mean, there was other things as well, but uh, just just put that all together and give us a, a guideline document, really, that when we go and referee, this is what we're trying to achieve. And is that uh, an attempt to try and hopefully speed the game up and sort of free it up a little bit more, or uh, is it more f- for the fans, more for the players, or more for the referees, I suppose? Well, it's all of the above, really. So there's some things in there around which we started working on last year where we sort of set ourselves some KPIs around trying to get the ball back in play inside 30 seconds when a scrum goes when a scrum's to be set when a, trying to get it inside 30 seconds when it goes into touch so that's I can guarantee you that's more angled at the fans because the players enjoy the rest and sometimes the referees do too um, and also with the one around um, when players are injured but not seriously injured and they're away from play just reminding us that the law is that we do, are actually supposed to play on if, if someone's not in danger. Can you can you actually run me through that just uh, for the purpose of the radio? Um, so what that exactly entails? How it's uh, the the scrum? Uh, sorry, the props mainly that affects. Like if, if it's another player out of back play, it's not really affecting the game. Yeah. So so under law, um, the only time we can stop is if it's a serious injury, which is you know there's a bit of judgment around that um, and. Even um, one of our refs is a doctor, and, and even he finds it difficult sometimes judging whether it's a serious injury or not because you can't tell unless you do a close look. And, um, and the, um, the the second one is um, if if it's a front row player who's injured and we're about to form a scrum. So that, though, under law, those are the only two. So I mean, the, the, the easy one is the scrum one because obviously we've got a scrum, we've got a front row down. But the difficult one is is it a serious injury or not? Um, well, it's a bit easier if he's out of play or over by a touchline and getting treatment, but it's, um, it's just, I guess it's just trying to make sure that we don't have guys taking the mickey, um, just having a rest, deliberately slowing the game down, which we do see sometimes, and, uh, and we'll just try and manage that as best we can, really. But it's not easy, but it's just trying to... The more minutes we can have the ball and play, the better the game is to watch, really, so... And uh, from a referee perspective, are these changes, do, uh, do the majority of referees, are they quite comfortable with the changes? Yeah, well, we really like the um, what's come down from a world rugby level where sort of 18 months ago we were, we were just, uh, told very strongly that when we get collisions in the air, um, the player who's on the ground has got a duty of care to make sure the guy doesn't, all that sort of stuff. Well, they've made a shift from that and saying, well, if both players are actually genuinely contesting for the ball, even though one of them might be higher in the air than the other one, if they're genuinely trying to catch the ball, sometimes we get a, a dangerous collision and that's okay, which that wasn't okay from so we were, our hands were tied a little bit as refs on the ground when a guy went up and there was a guy lower and he landed on his head expectation was we had to deal with that very seriously there's a bit more leeway given to us now to use our judgement to say well, you know what they, yes he did land dangerously and yes he is hurt but 
there was no there was a genuine intent by both players to catch the ball so it's we can we can play on what might be stop the game and treat the injury then play on you know? so so guys quite like that because it was always a bit uncomfortable making these harsh decisions around um, and then I guess um, the rest of it, I mean, everybody buys into it. It's just, it's just how good we are at executing it. Like that mall stuff is very technical, so it's just getting better at that, really. Um, which is, you know, the more we just have to referee more and more games with, with teams doing those things, and we'll get better at it. That was New Zealand referee Nick Bryant. The Black Caps will take to the field as Aotearoa, not New Zealand, in their one-day international against Zimbabwe this weekend. The words New Zealand are being replaced by Aotearoa on the Black Cap shirts to mark the final day of Māori Language Week. The Chief Executive of New Zealand Cricket, David White, says the overall intent is to increase Māori participation in sport and make the sport more welcoming to communities not closely aligned with the game. White told cricket reporter Stephen Hewson it's not something they have done particularly in the past. It was actually a, a brainwave from one of the young guys in our marketing team, actually. And it kind of grew from there, actually. The, you know, the, the, the seed was sown there. And um, we, we, we're very conscious, particularly on the back of Cricket World Cup, that we want to extend our reach to you know, more communities, all communities in New Zealand. And, um, you know, one of the most obvious is um, the Māori community. And um, we thought this was a, a good start. Um, it's something we haven't done particularly well in the past supporting these kind of initiatives, so we, we thought it was a good way to start. You, you look at Māori participation rates in cricket and Pacifica participation rates, why do you think it hasn't appealed to them? Cricket has probably not been flexible enough in its approach, really. Um, and I think you find now that, you know, with the advent of um, 2020 and, and, and shorter forms, um, I think that um, modified versions and things will make it more appealing to so not only these groups, but uh, but other groups in our community as well. I, I think it's been very, very rigid, the structure of delivery, uh, very traditional. Um, so I, I think by us making it uh, more appealing and um, making it easier for people to be involved in all forms of the game, I, I think it is a very good start. And so how do you go about doing that within the likes of the Māori community? What, what are you doing? What we're doing is... Um, on, on a number of fronts, really, through, through our major associations, districts and schools, we're, um, we're making um, cricket equipment available to schools. Uh, we, we started that with the primary and secondary schools uh, over our Cricket Smart program. During, uh, during the World Cup, we, uh, we, we gave uh, cricket equipment and uh, in-class in education for 1,500 of the... Or 1,700 of the 2,500 primary and intermediate schools in New Zealand. Uh, we're also through our major associations, looking at introducing um, modified versions of cricket, you know, midweek, uh, eight-over games, ten-over games, etc., just to get those participation numbers up and, and make it, you know, interesting for both boys and girls. And measuring how successful that that, that is, or how are you going to do that? Well, it, it's, a, it's, it's a difficult one to to measure, really. I think one of the one of the things we've done in the past, we've introduced new people to the game, but then they haven't stayed. So I think the best measurement of success is sustainability. People being introduced to the game and staying in the game, um, I think that's the best measurement. And it's something that, you know, our new strategic direction is more about sustainability um, going forward. What's got you to this this point? Was it the, the World Cup and you going, we need to take this wider when you saw maybe the impact that 
the, the Black Caps had, or, or was there something going on beforehand? Because this is obviously an issue not only for cricket, but for, for many sports, isn't it? Cricket World Cup is a step change for us. We're very conscious that we just don't want it to be a one-off. And, um, you know, there's a number of examples of sports in the past, both in New Zealand and overseas, where they haven't, you know, captured that opportunity. So it introduced a whole bunch more people to the game. And we now, on the back of that, we're working very hard to um, to capitalise on that, introduce cricket, the whole New Zealand community, if we can, not, not only... Murray, Pacific, but all, you know all the areas of our community. So we're, we're working hard on that, and, and we want to make it more inclusive for everyone. That was Stephen Hewson speaking with New Zealand Cricket CEO David White. It's only a matter of days now until the Netball World Championships get underway in Sydney. The Silver Ferns have come off a 3-0 clean sweep over Fiji and South Africa for the Tiny Jamison Trophy Series here in New Zealand. It was one of the last chances for the Ferns to work out their combinations before their first match in the World Cup against Barbados. I caught up with captain Casey Kapua following their last match against South Africa to get her views on the series. For, for our standards, um, I would say, wouldn't say we're peaking too soon, but definitely we're putting consistent performances out there. The middle one was a little bit of a, um, a bit of a quiet test for us, but then I think we picked it up again last night, so that was positive to see. You must have been confident after last night's performance picking up the intensity, especially in the defensive end, uh, block, blocking out their shooters. I think they only got was about eight goals each each uh, quarter. Yeah, well, we needed to um, after that second test, or the first test against South Africa. Um, we didn't get enough ball and we didn't do our jobs properly, so um, that was never going to happen two times in a row, so we needed to make sure, and, and it did, and it worked, which was really cool to see. You mentioned a little bit earlier about the combinations within the squad, obviously there are a few new combinations over the last three games, do you think going into the World Cup you're uh, as prepared as you can be with those combinations? Yeah, I think so, there's still a little bit of the unknown and of what people can do, but I think um, the way that we do play and the way that we can play will bring the best out in each other, so everybody's just keen, um, we want to go there and work hard and do the job, so um, what are we, nine sleeps now today <laughs> until the first game? Um, you've, uh, you're probably sick of hearing this question, but uh, how's the knee, how's the fitness, and I suppose also for the team, has everyone pulled through after the three games? Yeah, everybody's 100%, which is really good. Um, it's cool to see, uh, and for me personally, I'm fine. Um, I just can't wait to get back out there. Um, you've mentioned there nine nine days until the game or nine sleeps until the games start. Uh, what are you going to do now for the for those nine days? You're going to go back and work on a few things yourself personally. Um, there's there's a couple of recovery days just to um, refresh yourself, and then there's there's training days. So with my rehab, I'm not allowed a day off. So there's still stuff to do. Um, but probably the most important thing over the next four days before we go is just that family time, um, getting stuff sorted at home. So when you do go away, there's there's no worrying about that. Um, and yeah, we get on on a plane and have a few trainings and, and a couple of games and then we're away. And how important is that family time, I suppose, before you go away so that you get, we're in the right sort of frame of mind before you head away into the biggest tournament of your lives, I guess? Oh, I think it's huge because we certainly wouldn't be where we are without that support. Um, you know, I've got the best husband um, and the best family. They look after me and get things sorted while I am away. So um, but they're actually coming to World Cup, which is even better. Um, you've, uh, you've, well, you uh, played South Africa and Fiji. You didn't play uh, Australia in the build 
up. Was uh, do you feel as though that's done enough for your confidence? I suppose going into the World Cup, knowing that you, you know you've beaten these teams, would you have liked to crack at Australia? Um, you always love to have a crack at Australia, um, but I think we made the most of what we did, and you know we may have two shots um, at playing Australia in the round robin and in the, and in the finals. So whenever you do have those tougher games, everybody lifts, um, and we know that um, you know our performance against South Africa and Fiji is not. Um, I guess what it needs to be against Australia. Yeah, and uh, Norman Plummer actually pointed that out last night. I mean, it was in a nice way. She said that the, uh, uh, the shooting at 80% probably won't get you over the line against uh, Australia. Is there anything else that you need to work on, you think, if you want to get past Australia? Um, I think probably it's just that defensive end again. We just need to keep getting ball, and any ball that we do get, because you don't get much, needs to be scored. That was Silver Ferns captain Casey Kapua. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only programme by Radio New Zealand Sport. The Warriors' hopes of making the top eight in the NRL are slowly fading after consecutive losses to the Sydney Roosters and Manly Sea Eagles. With Sean Johnson ruled out for the rest of the season after breaking his leg during the Warriors' loss to Manly, faith in the New Zealand side's ability to make it to the Premiership has begun to subside. But making a return against the Cronulla Sharks this weekend is Warriors wing Manu Vatuve, who was out for a month with a shoulder injury. Speaking to media, he says he can't wait to get back out on the field. Been been excited, um, exciting for myself to come back and um, you know, just have a few feet to just come back on the field and, and, and put my boots back on and, and play with the boys. So yeah. How are you physically? Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm just excited to be honest, and, and just can't wait to go out there. It's been tough watching the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's always tough um, um, sitting back and, and watching, and um, you know can't 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 go out there and, and help the boys out, but um, you know being just support, uh, supporting them and, and keeping them on, um, uh, making sure they're they're still excited and, and, and happy to to keep playing. What were you like when Sean went down with that injury and did you notice a lot of the guys' heads dropped after seeing that? Yeah, there would be. To be honest, there would be a few, few heads dropping, but um, you know, I think he has um, get on with it and, and you know, move on to the next, next, next job and, and that's what we had to do. And, but we didn't bounce back from, from, from that and um, you know, hopefully we can, we can redeem ourselves this week. You said before, physically you're fine, so you're 100% ready to go? I'm never 100%, to be honest. Um, there's always little niggles on, um, on my bodies, but it's, it's something I can't, can't handle and, and keep, uh, I can keep playing with, so it's all good. So how close the last couple of weeks were you to playing? Were you, could you have played a piece? Yeah, um, yeah they, they, um, last week was... I wanted to come back last week, but... Um, a few risks there, so, and they didn't want to push, um, make me come back a little bit early. So this week was um, was my target week, and um, you know, I just had to do everything right and, and do a lot of rehab and, and, and make, making sure that uh, my strength on my shoulder was good. Also making a return alongside Vatuve is Conrad Hurrell, who's been in and out of the Warriors' side this season due to suspensions and injury. The game also marks the first time since Hurrell and Sharks forward Anthony Tupo have played each other since Hurrell broke Tupo's jaw while he tried to tackle Conrad. Hurrell says he hasn't thought too much about the incident in the build-up to this weekend's match. No, I'm just happy to see him. Um, obviously his first game was last week, so um, 
it's pretty, uh, it's pretty good to see him back in the field running and he'll be the top side next, um, this week. So, yeah, we'll be looking forward to it. So are you hoping to catch up with him before the game or just so you see him afterwards? Uh, I'll probably just see him after, after the game. Um, trying to get the nerves out of the way and it's my uh, first week back in a couple of weeks. So I uh, just want to focus on my game and, and the team first before other stuff. So, yeah. Have you thought about that incident much since? Has it been in your mind a lot? Yeah, obviously it's... I've always been thinking about it, but I guess I'm just trying to push it out of the way. And I'm just, like I said before, I'm happy that he's back playing. Um, he's back doing what he loves to do best, so, and straight back into top, top side. So, yeah. What was it like for you just watching from the stands and seeing Sean Johnson's injury and not being able to do anything about the team's performance? Yeah, uh, I was pretty um, frustrated. Um, obviously watching some of the, the other injured boys, um, they're pretty disappointed. Um, shame that um, Sean got the, the uh, massive injured. Obviously it's going to be a big loss for, for the team, but um, we can't look at it, just try to start moving forward. Whoever's going to um, get in position will we'll, we'll take a big, big work, big job, and then hopefully we'll lead the team. So, yeah. Frustrating season for you in general with injuries and suspensions and all that thing. You said I haven't really got going at all. Yeah, it's been disappointing for myself. Obviously, is I've only played um, seven games this year. Um, but like I said before, it's, it's a good chance for me to finish the year the year well and keep keep our team in, in top eight and hopefully we will make up uh, to the top four. So, yeah. so how much faith is there in the team that, that you can still make the top eight or top four with, with Shawnee out? Yeah, obviously we're here to to um, to, to make it to the Premiership. Um, one big injured, one one player. Obviously, Sean is one of the, the best players in the team, but we can't um, hold back on that. Um, they, they they pick uh, 30 old people in the squad or 22. Um, obviously, they picked it for a reason. They can do the job. So the boys still have faith in ourselves, and obviously we'll we'll stuck on together in this, and we'll make it to the Premiership. So yeah, that was Warriors centre Conrad Hurrell. Joseph Parker is preparing for the biggest fight to ever be held in New Zealand when he takes on Australian Bowie Tupo in Invercargill this weekend. Parker is ranked number 8 by the WBO, Tupo is ranked number 13. Tupo, of Tongan descent, has 25 wins and 3 losses and the 32-year-old is putting his WBO African title on the line over 12 rounds at Stadium Southland. Parker, who's 23, is putting his WBO Oriental Pacific belt up too. Parker spoke to media earlier this week about his preparations for his biggest fight yet. It was a short camp, it was four weeks, and the camp before that was 11 weeks where we put in most of the work. So with this last camp, we still you know, smashed it and pushed, pushed ourselves in training, and uh, I feel like my body's strong, fit, and ready to go. I feel my mind's in the right place. And then my opponent looks like he's here, fit and ready. And I'm ready to go on Saturday night, so I'm, I'm just excited. It's exciting having the, the whole country behind me. Exciting going down to Chicago. It's going to be an amazing stadium, amazing buzz. So I'm looking forward to it. What are you hoping to get out of this fight? Well, firstly, uh, I'd like to win. Um, I'd like to go in there. I'm, I'm, I'm going into this fight with confidence because of the training I did. Um, I'm going in to, to fight for the four belts that are up for grabs or on the line. And there's a, there's a possible chance of the winner being top five in the world in WBO. So it's just uh, those things have motivated me more and extra in training camp. And uh, with this fight coming up on Saturday, I feel like I have to go in there and improve myself and, and do my best.
we hear a lot about the the road to the title sort of stuff that you're on everything and the way it sort of comes along the next fight's always you know this is the toughest fight of your career and everything as you're sort of building on but, yeah. but how far along that road are we? We are I think we're still probably a year and a half two years away from that uh, chance of fighting for a world title one day but um, with this fight, I believe that this is a toughest opponent just because of the power he presents and um, the punches that he throws. Like I, I'm a, sometimes I was open to like, the right hand, which he, he loves to throw. My left is always down, so I've learned in this camp how to keep it up a bit more. And just with his ranking as well, he's, this is the, the biggest ranked um, fight in New Zealand or New Zealand's ever held, from what I know. So there's a lot of things, factors that made it, make it exciting. The fact that you've got more muscle these days, Joseph, does that help you to take those body blows from a guy who's a bit stronger than what you used to? Oh, definitely. With everything that we've been working on and with all the air workouts and all the push-ups, and I think uh, with the body developing and the muscles, um, I think that I can definitely take um, I don't want to be taking the blows, but if I do have to take the blows, I think the body can handle it. So I think all the, all the workouts that we've been doing is going to pay off if we do get hit and we can take the worst. Are you going to try and keep him at a distance and let your jab kind of do the work for you or yeah, do you want to go toe-to-toe with him? Definitely, that's the plan. The plan is to keep him at the, on the outside and, and get him reaching. No, he's got the same reach as me, I think, or even a bit longer. I'm not quite sure. I'll, I'll find out soon. Yeah. But um, I think uh, just the plan is just to box smartly. You know, if I, if I box smartly, it can be a good fight. And if I don't box smartly, it can be a really hard and, and tough fight. So... It just uh, depends on what I pick. Yeah, the fact that you're always the favourite and big New Zealand crowds, do you yeah. feel that pressure to go in and bang them early? No, there's always pressure, but um, I think you got to avoid uh, thinking about the pressure and just uh, think about what's important and what you have to do. And that's just to uh, listen to Kev. He's put together a nice game plan, which I'm comfortable with as well. And I know that I'm the favourite, but um, I think uh, New Zealand doesn't know um, how tough this opponent is and and how, and how much he brings to the table. That was New Zealand heavyweight boxer Joseph Parker. Finally, the New Zealand cricketing great Sir Richard Headley says South African all-rounder Clive Rice was a tough, uncompromising player who deserved a better chance at international cricket. Rice has died at the age of 66 after a long battle with a brain tumour. Headley and Rice became good friends during the time they played together at English county side Nottinghamshire in the 1980s. Rice never played a test match for South Africa because of the nation's exclusion from international sport because of apartheid. Rice captained the Proteas in their return to the international stage in 1991, but only played three one-day internationals. Hadley says he learned a lot from Rice. A tough, uncompromising captain who expected uh, a lot from not only himself, but from all the players to lift their performances, to try and win games and to win county championships and one-day tournament as an all-rounder. So I was a top-order batsman, one of the best in the world at that time. As an all-rounder, uh, fantastic, um, a very potent uh, opening new ball bowler. So he and I made a pretty useful combination uh, at Knott's. Did you have a like mindset? I think I learned quite a lot more uh, from him, actually. Uh, you know, the South African attitude is in many ways very similar to Australian attitudes in sport. They want to be winners. Uh, they want to compete. Uh, they want to be there. They they want to be be recognised. They want to be known uh, and just upfront. And uh, Clive was one of those guys who would uh, speak his mind, certainly in the dressing room, um, and people took notice. And uh, for me, he was a tremendous cricketer. The, the sad thing for me was that as a South African, of course, 
South Africa were isolated from uh, international cricket uh, throughout the late 70s and, uh, and the 80s. So he was denied the opportunity to prove himself on the international scene. And it wasn't until, what, 1991 when South Africa came back into world cricket that he actually captained the South African side. I think it was a one-day series they went to in, uh, in India. And at that time, he was 40-odd years of age. So he was certainly past his best. But at least he had some taste of international cricket. Uh, but I would love to have seen him or even played against him in test cricket throughout the 80s because uh, as an all-rounder, uh, he was one of the best in the world. He he was up there with both them and Imran and Kapil and, uh, and myself. Did you spend much time with him off the field? Oh, we became great friends. Uh, we didn't live too far away from each other. Uh, county cricket in those days, and it probably happens today, but you travel by car from, uh, you know, from uh, ground to ground, uh, game to game, and he and I travelled a lot. And obviously talk cricket, talk other things. Uh, we we enjoyed each other's uh, music. We had similar tastes. Um, he had strong opinions, uh, which I welcomed. Uh, we had challenging times uh, at times uh, if, if we didn't uh, agree with something. But uh, no, we developed a magnificent friendship. And uh, obviously the news in the last uh, 12 hours or so is uh, very, very sad. But in many ways not unexpected because he was going through a tough time and had been for a few years, and uh, brain tumours, not many people get over that. When you think back about your time with him, do you think about those car journeys? Do you think about your time on the field together? What is it that comes back to you about Clive Rice? Uh, Not an easy question to answer. Look, if I had sort of uh, quick reflections, I mean, the the 10 years that... um, that I had at Notch County Cricket Club uh, were probably the best 10 years of my life, to be honest. Uh, we were a family as a as a cricket club. Uh, there was mutual respect from the committee, uh, right down from the president, the chairman, to the members, to the spectators, and to the players. I mean, we, we, everyone just got on with each other and we had a job to do, and we everyone tried to complement each other's uh, skills and what was trying to be achieved, and Clyde was a strong part of that. Um, he wanted success. Uh, as I say, he wanted his players to, to perform. And uh, off the field, look, uh, just, just a great bloke, just a genuine fellow who... Um, was humble in many ways, but just wanted to prove a point if he could on the cricket field that he was uh, one of the, the great players that uh, should have had a better chance in international cricket. That was Sir Richard Hadley speaking with Stephen Hewson. And that's extra time for this week. Feedback is welcome via Twitter at RNZ Sport. Or our email, sport at radionz.co.nz. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Matt Chitterton. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.